after a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves, and let them cut it into pieces, and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull, and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. O Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. But there was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. It's sort of like when I get up here to preach instead of Pastor Tim. But anyways, no, I'm just kidding, sort of, kind of, not really, anyways. Oh, all right, okay. Anyways, hey everyone, I'm Pastor Tom, and we are in the middle of this July series. We're doing a little Eli in July, right? Eli, that old school prophet with a modern message. And last week, what we did is we got to see how this radical prophet named Elijah was actually called out of nowhere by God to deliver this sort of in-your-face message to this diabolical duo, right? King Ahab and Jezebel, no more rain until I say so, right? And then God delivered Eli to this brook where he drank and he ate every day. He was fed by the hand of heaven, so to speak, every single day, only to have that same brook, that same blessing, dry up just like that, right? And so God's provision, God's blessing, suddenly gone, okay? And so the question I asked you last week, if you remember this, was this. 
what part of your life has dried up? In other words, can you identify something that at one point in time you felt like, oh man, this is God's blessing, but then all of a sudden for no reason was totally, ah, it just dried up. You have no answers, right? And, and we gave everyone a little sandbag. Some of you, uh, some of you remember that, right? You, we gave everyone this sandbag and we asked you to, to write it down. What on your life is that area of that dry place? And here's what some of you said, right? Uh, some of you wrote your finances. This was a very popular one. Money, uh, your job, right? This was an area where once you were so blessed. Now, not so much. Uh, let's see some others here. My, my relationship with God. Uh, some of you, you know, you, you grew up and you just always had these quiet times, these devotions, and they were such an awesome place. It gave you energy for the day, so to speak, your spiritual walk. But now it's a dry place. Others, we've got marriage here, marriage, my wife. I mean, this is, this is sad stuff, right? People are actually identifying that, yeah, God is the one that led me here. God's the one that put me into this relationship. But now it's a dry, dry and barren place, right? Uh, again, my job, my career, all this stuff. And so at least one thing is sure. One thing we can be certain about, and that is this. We all go through dry spells. Uh, each one of us here, we, we've gone through situations or we've been in relationships or we've been in places where we feel like God actually blessed us, but now, now this place is just like nothing but dry sand, right? And that's all that it's become. And so today, Eli's going to show us actually that rather than change that dry spell, okay, with water, instead... God is going to show up by fire. See, sometimes God does that. But before we go there, though, let's check this out for a second. The passage our friend just read to us, right? Let's go to that again. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 17. It's found there on page 249 in your Bibles, okay? And let's see how after nearly three years of dryness and drought, Eli returns to the scene and he just starts stirring things up again. Check this out. <clears throat> verse 17. When he, the evil king Ahab, saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Notice now, he's blaming Eli for the three-year drought that Israel has endured, right? But the next verse says this, I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. In other words, look, don't even try that. Okay, don't even go there. This was your own doing. Okay, you're the one worshiping idols here, not me. You're the one abandoning God, and you're actually leading all your people to do the same exact thing. In fact, the same, the, the, that next verse says that 450 prophets of the false god Baal, who was, what, what did we say that he was? Who was Baal? Baal was the god of thunder, the god of the storm, so to speak, right? 450 of those prophets, and then another 400 prophets of Asherah, who was what? Asherah was like the, the mother goddess, Okay, 450 and another 400 were regular guests at King Ahab and Jezebel's table. In other words, the leadership of that nation, they just absolutely loved bowing down to these false gods. But now here's the catch. 
before you and I start getting too high up on our horses, right? Before we start judging these people, oh, and their stupid, silly, superstitious, primitive ways, right? Before we start thinking to ourselves, ah, don't they know any better? I mean, haven't they ever heard of the great and mighty only God who created the heavens and the earth in seven days? I mean, don't they know the Ten Commandments? Don't they know that the first two actually say, Thou shalt not have no other gods before me, and thou shalt not have uh, make for yourselves any idols? I mean, duh, that's so basic. Don't they know that? How do you forget all that? And then move towards these wooden, hand-carved idols. That is so primitive, right? But hold on now. Question. What is an idol? Right? Answer, an idol is anything that we put up on a pedestal and make sacrifices for with the idea of some sort of exchange for success. We want something in return. So you know what, folks? I thought long and hard about this, and I hate to admit this, especially as a Christian pastor, but I worship idols too. And here's the other dirty little secret. So do you. Yeah. A best-selling author, Tim Keller, wrote it this way. He said, each one of us has shrines, whether office towers, spas, and gyms, studios, or stadiums, where sacrifices must be made in order to procure the blessings of the good life and ward off disaster. He then continues, we may not actually burn incense to Artemis, but when money and career are raised to cosmic proportions... We perform a kind of child sacrifice, neglecting family and community to achieve a higher place in business and gain more wealth and prestige. Folks, do you hear what he's saying? See, in Elijah's day, they literally performed child sacrifices, right? And we shake our heads and we think, oh, that is so primitive, so inhuman, these awful, awful pagans. Yet many of us, we do the same thing. Sure, in maybe more sterile ways, but we do it. Question. How many men in here invest more time with their work than with their children? Yeah, right? That's because we actually, it's a form of worshiping our careers. We, do, we devote ourselves, our time, our best efforts to this job, Right? Truly thinking that somehow it will bring us significance and sustenance. That it's going to provide for us our security. See, there are plenty of men here, myself included, who sacrifice our children for our particular career. You don't have to actually kneel, okay? You need to understand this. You don't actually have to kneel before like this golden calf to be an idol worshiper. For instance, I talk to plenty of women who've just, they have been driven into depression and despair because of eating disorders. Why? Because of their obsession with their own body. See, that too is a form of idol worship. That too, it, it, they're falling to this, this trap where, where they're worshiping this false god who tells you to do all sorts of things to your body. 
You need to do everything to tan it, tweak it, tat it, you know, turn it, twist it, tuck it. Just whatever you do, stay on top of it because you know something? Body image is the main way you find significance. Idols. All idols. Theologian John Calvin put it this way. Our hearts are idol-making factories. So what are your false gods? What are you tempted to put on a pedestal and actually make sacrifices to? Or let me ask it this way. Is there anything in your life smaller than God, yet demanding more of your attention and affections? Is there anything smaller in your life than God that demands more of your devotion? Question. Why do we worship idols in the first place? Answer. Because when an area of our life actually dries up, you identified this last week, right? When an area of our life actually dries up, what we want to do is we want to take things into our own hands and sort of fix it ourselves. But, you know, I'm going to do it myself. My time, my way, this is going to happen right now. And idols, folks, idols are just that. They are easily manipulated. They are easily handled. You can shape them and twist them and carve them out to your heart's delight. Okay? For example, we had a lot of people here say that they've got a dried up relationship. Right? Let me get one of those. Right? You've got a dried up relationship. So let's just pretend here. Let's just say that, that you're single. And you're, you're single and, and, and you're lonely and, and you'd like to be married. Now, my question to you is this. Is there anything wrong with marriage? No. Absolutely. Careful. That's not a, that's not a joke. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with marriage. But when it becomes the only thing that can, that can ultimately give you a source of completion and happiness and joy and peace, that is precisely when it becomes an idol. So, so let's say that you, you know, you're single and you're lonely and, and you go to something like, I, I don't know, like Match.com. Okay, nothing wrong with that. Or Okay, I know this is a Christian crowd, so you go to equallyyoked.com, okay? And, and, and so you go on there, and you find, you find you're on that website, and you, and you sort of like, you, you kind of find this person that sort of kind of maybe kind of fits, right? But then there are all these red flags, right? But you want so badly for this thing to just work. So you just, what do you do? You take it into your own hands and you sort of force it, right? You force this, this peg into the, into the square-shaped hole, right? And you overlook some serious, serious red flags. And your reasoning is this. I, I would just rather be with somebody than nobody. Again, marriage is a good thing, but not when it is the only thing. See, false gods in and of themselves do not have to be bad things. They just need to be stronger at attracting your devotion. So how about it, folks? Anyone here honest enough to admit that you've got some idols hiding in your closet? 
right? Let's take a challenge here. Let's just go ahead and just take a step of faith here. Raise your hand if you have at least one idol in your closet. I'm raising mine. Go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, all right, good. Not, not bad. About two, three dozen of us. The rest of you aren't idolaters. You're liars, but, you know, okay. All right, all right. Seriously, though, seriously. One thing you're starting to realize here is that, you know something? We're actually, we're not that much different than the people in the Bible. We're actually not that much different than the people in the Old Testament here. We're actually very much the same. Only our names have changed. Which is why I think what Elijah said, says next, I think this is why it cuts to the heart so quickly. Check this out. Verse 21 says, Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, if your idol is God, follow him. And, and what was their response? But the people said, what's the word? Nothing. See, many of us, let's be honest now, we do not like confrontation, especially when it comes between God and our dear idols. Right? And you're thinking, yeah, yeah, you know, okay, I get it, preacher. I mean, yeah, I know, I know God is important and all, but these are my kids. This, this is my career we're talking about. Right? Hey, look, you know, I get worshiping God is important. That's why, that's why I go to church. I know it's a big deal. But I got to pay the bills. I mean, my bail just keeps on calling. Elijah, just, he just cuts right through the chase. And he says, look, my friend, there is no neutrality. There's nothing in between here. Just quit the wavering. Either God is sufficient, either, either God is your God, or something else, or someone else is. And, and this, this is what sets the scene so perfectly for this classic biblical showdown, right? This is an all-out, in-the-parking-lot, after-school, take-off-your-gloves, just you and me, mano y mano battle, where Elijah says, you know what? Go tell all your prophets, okay, to set up an altar, put a bull on it, and you know what? I'm going to do the same exact thing. And verse 24 says this, Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by what? The God who answers by fire. He is God. See, in the Old Testament, God rarely showed himself. In the New Testament, we have Jesus, and that is great. That's something physical, tangible, visible, we can see that. But in the Old Testament, he rarely showed himself. And when God showed up, though, let me tell you something. Things got hot okay think i want you to think right now of the burning bush i want you to think right now in the old testament of the pillar of fire okay and so eli's saying this i challenge you to a battle of the gods you put your bow up you set up your altar and i'm going to do the same with mine here and and let's and let's see who brings the heat question why fire? The answer is very simple. Because it was a symbol of God's power, 
his holiness, his purity, and his strength. The fact that fire consumes everything, right? It's an all-consuming entity, especially when compared to dead wooden idols. Fire's alive. So check this out. Verse 27, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's in deep thought or busy. Do you know that the Hebrew understanding of that word busy, I am not making this up. It literally means maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe your God is on the can. I am not making this up, okay? Or, or maybe he's traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened total wise guy i mean i love this guy i mean bottom line verse 29 but there was no response no one answered no one paid attention why because elijah is showing us this crucial central point that is this false god's promise what only the true god provides which is why Elijah, this is why if Elijah were here with us right now, he would call every single one of us out. And his question to us would be the same as it was then. How long will you waver between two opinions? You know, today, as each of you walked in here, you should have received one of these, right? Just a simple little matchbook. Don't, don't light anything, okay? Just careful now, all right? Uh, here's what I want to say. When, when God comes, he, God actually brings the heat, right? Things may be dry, but God can set it on fire just like that, right? So would you go ahead and, go ahead and open your matchbooks? Don't, don't, don't light anything. We don't need another fire alarm, okay? Okay, just open up your matchbook so that it looks like this. And on the top half of the inside jacket, everyone go ahead and click your pens, okay? Everyone click their pens. You got your pens there, okay? Click your pens and write on there. This is what I want you to do. On the top half of that inside jacket, I want you to write down what the prophet of God actually asked the people then and what the prophet of God actually asked you today. And that is this. How long, just a simple quick question, how long will you... Waver. Go ahead and write that on your book of matches. How long will you waver? Everyone do that? How long will you waver? This is a confrontational question. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. If, if the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, if money is God, if sex is God, if your career is God, if body image is your God, whatever is your God, then just, you know what, go for it. Go gangbusters. Shouldn't that be the case? Whatever is your God, just go for it. Only know this. 400 prophets of the false god Baal did all that. They went gangbusters and more. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. So folks, as you mull that one over, as you take a good, 
hard look at your matchbook here and ask yourself that question, how long am I going to waver? Let's listen in and see how this showdown actually ends. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water, and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Are you catching this? Over 400 of the prophets of the false god Baal saw this, and they literally, they collapsed to the ground. And they fell prostrate, and they cried out, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. See, when God comes by fire, there is no denying it. Remember, false gods promise what only the true God provides and so folks here's the deal we have all got idols we've already acknowledged that right my heart is an idol making factory and so is yours and i don't i don't think i'm stepping out of bounds here actually when i say this idolatry in all of its forms and shapes is always the reason we do anything wrong Idolatry is always the reason we do anything wrong. That is, we put something else, we put someone else before God. It is the starting point of all things crooked. But here's what I love about the story's ending. See, Eli doesn't leave us there. He actually fills us up with hope. He gives us hope by showing us another very incredible spiritual truth. And that is this. Idols cannot be removed but they can be replaced. See, folks, idols are like weeds. You try to cut them down, and they'll just come back even stronger, right? Like, for instance, if your idol is lust, well, then you already know that you may be able to satisfy that demon for a while, just temporarily, 
But it always comes back craving more. Why? Because here's the deal. We were actually built for love. We have this, we have this insatiable God-sized need to be embraced and understood and loved and cherished. If your, if your idol is money, well, then you already know there is like always another deal to close, right? Just, there's just always just a little bit more money that you need to make. Just, just one more tiny little investment. Why? Because of greed? Well, I, yeah, I guess, but that, that's just the surface level. See, underneath all that, it's what we think, it's what we believe that money will actually bring. And what is that? Security. Success. See, we all have this God-sized need for significance. And those desires, folks, love and significance, they are not evil. They were actually placed in your heart by the Creator God who created you in His image. But when we try to fill those needs with anything or anyone else other than God, that's when it becomes idolatry and it starts just eating away and destroying us you see idols are not removed only replaced you need to replace it whatever your idol is with a higher love a love for something bigger and better We're talking about god right idols are not removed only replaced by god C.S. Lewis put it this way. I just, there's no better way to put it. If I find myself, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. He was talking about being made for something supernatural, something eternal, something God. But, but not a God as, as, as in like this sort of general belief in God. No, no, no. Most people already have that, okay? Yet their lives are filled with idols. No, what I'm talking about here is a living encounter, a personal relationship with God that satisfies actually the deepest longings in your soul. I'm talking about the fire of God touching down and reaching your life, going into the core of your soul, and incinerating whatever idols might be hidden there, and replacing it with a fire for himself. Question. How many of you have ever seen a fire come down from the heavens? I'm talking about a 30-foot high pillar of fire. Yeah, you know, two weeks ago, right, many of us actually did. Pastor Tim was talking about it a little bit before, right? Now, it wasn't actually a fire from heaven, so to speak, but as many of you know, 
right? Over a hundred of us men from Liquid, we got together and we celebrated after the completion of this giant outreach, right? It was just amazing. It was awesome. We had this BBQ afterwards to celebrate. And so we like built this little bonfire, right? And it was in the back of, uh, in the backyard of Dan Bove, who is one of our key male leaders, right? And it was hilarious, this thing. I mean, I mean, we didn't like the, we didn't like the little bonfire with like this little match, okay? I mean, there was like a bale of hay. Do you know how big a bale of hay is? It was like this bale of hay in the middle of that thing. We poured every sort of explosive thing that you could possibly find. Gasoline, kerosene, charcoal, lighter fluid. We even got a guy from Porker's Pig Stuff to get a blowtorch. I mean, like literally, he got a blowtorch and just... I mean, it was just awesome, right? But what many of you may not know is that it was very fitting that we actually lit this fire in Dan Bove's backyard. Because let me tell you something. For a good portion of my buddy's life, of Dan's life, he actually chased after false gods. Until one day, the fire of God, it just touched down on his life in an undeniable way. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to I'm going to let Dan tell you the rest of his story. I've been walking with the Lord for a little bit over 11 years now. And if you had looked at my life before that moment, you would have seen the picture of an ideal life. I had a beautiful wife, three wonderful children. We lived in a fantastic large home here in New Jersey. I had a great job as a vice president with a Fortune 500 uh, company, traveling all over the world uh, in pursuit of business. Uh, in fact, my job probably defined me more than anything else. Uh, we were members of a, a great church. I was a trustee in that church for all appearances, practicing faith. But in reality, that was all just the facade. It was all just me chasing false gods. I lived in a world of darkness and in a world of sin. I had been living in that world for over 35 years. My parents were divorced when I was a child and I felt an emptiness in my life um, that I just could never quite understand. And then one day uh, I discovered um, sex and that world just totally ruled my life. It made my life into a house of cards. I couldn't remember what lie I had told to what person. While pretending I had a relationship with God, I really had nothing. I just did not want to have a relationship with Him for fear that He would expose everything that uh, my world had become. The lies uh, were designed to cover up um, the lust in my life for things sexual. Um, that could be the objectification of women, looking at uh, pornography, uh, um, having false relationships. The fire of God, once it uh, finally came upon me, uh, was an amazing thing. Uh, Debbie, who had been praying for me for 16 years uh, to come to know the Lord, finally saw through my facade. I needed to find help and I sought Help. They were able to finally put me in touch with my emotions again. I cried for the first time 
in 35 years. Uh, I finally felt worthy of a relationship with the Lord again. Now that that fire has burned in, for, in me for 11 years now, uh, my life has changed completely. The things that are important to me in life now are still Debbie and my family and children, um, but uh, my passion for the Lord has grown in ways that to me were inconceivable then. I really want my life to be about sharing my story and sharing my love of the Lord with others with an urgency that they can understand that it's important that they too address the things in their life that are keeping them from a relationship with Him. It's amazing, is it? Yeah. That is amazing, isn't it? I mean, Dan, Dan had the ideal life, right? What more could you want? A beautiful wife, three precious kids, a big house, vice president of a Fortune 500 company, world tr trustee at his church. But did you hear what he called it? It was all just a chasing after false gods. See, what you think that you can control or, or sort of manipulate and use to your own advantage, eventually catches up to you, winds up controlling you. I mean, do you remember what happened to all the prophets of Baal as they called out on their God and, and he was like sitting on a toilet and, and nothing was happening? Do you remember what these prophets did? It, it, we read it in the scriptures. It said that they started slashing themselves, literally, Right? They wound up slashing themselves. See, idols eventually leave you cut and bleeding and all alone on the side of a road by yourself. That's what idols do. Guys, that's how idol worship works. It can destroy you. Dan Bove had a desire for love and acceptance. And that is not wrong. We, every single one of us, we have that. But was, what was wrong was when he started looking for all that stuff in all the wrong places, in someone else, something else other than God. And because of that, what was once pleasurable and a blessing and good, it, all of a sudden, it almost destroyed him. It got out of hand in, in his marriage. His family, his, his career, he almost lost it all. But it wasn't until the fire of God fell down on his life and just like burned it all away, all the impurities, actually lighting him on fire. I mean, you talk to this guy, you talk, and you, you will be ignited if you talk to this guy. And, and do, you, do you know what that fire of God has done in Dan, God is actually using that same fire to begin lighting a fire in other men. This is, this is amazing. God's using that fire that he started in him to spread to others. And now he's using Dan to actually minister and to speak to other men who are in addictions and, and feel like there's absolutely no hope. I mean, can we just give it up for Dan and his wife, Debbie, as well? I mean, that takes a lot of guts. That takes a lot of guts, right? 
to be so honest and brave and just to put it all out on the line and say, yeah, you know, God, this is yours. To put their trust in the true God. I mean, that is an amazing, redemptive, real-life story that is happening in our midst. We're not making this up. It's not just something that we're, you know, reading. This is happening live right now. God started a fire in someone and is now spreading to others. See, folks, this would be the part in our Bibles where we read that hundreds fell prostrate and cried out, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Not all the things that I was chasing after. That's not God. Not the sex. Not the money. Not the image. Not the religion. Not, not, not any of that stuff. None of the toys. That's not God. The Lord. He is God. The Lord. He is God. So folks, here it is. Let me ask you to go ahead and take out your matchbooks again. Go ahead and take it out. Click that pen one more time. And Here's what I'd like to ask you to do. Go ahead and draw a line underneath that question that you wrote at the top. And underneath that line, write this. God or, and then fill in the blank, just like you see on this slide. God or, and then you fill in your own blank. And because the question here is this, what is that idol for you? What is keeping God from having first place in your life right now? You know, last week, last week you left your sandbags here. Do you remember that? They're, they're all sitting up top right here actually, right? Last week you left your sandbags here with us and it was a literal as well as a symbolic way of you saying, God, I, I don't know about this dry place but I am leaving it in your hands. But today, today I want you to take your matchbook with you. Today I want you to take this as a symbol of God's fire. You're going to take it home with you. Let this matchbook, let this simple little, this simple little thing, let it serve for you as a reminder that I don't want to waver between whatever two things that you just put there, God and whatever, anymore. God, I don't want to waver. God, I need your fire in this area of my life. I can't do it on my own. I can't manipulate. I can't concoct it. It's not an idol, God. I need your fire. In fact, if you know that you need God's fire in your life to burn away some of the idols and some of the, some of the impurities in your life, and replace them with himself, with this, with this fire, then let me ask you to do one last thing here. Let me ask you to just raise your matches. Raise them up high here. Go ahead and just lift them up. Again, this is between you and God. Raise up your matches. Don't light them, okay? Just raise up your matches. This is between you and God, okay? And as you're doing that here, what I'm going to do is I'm going to symbolically burn the one that I have in my hands for all of us. This is going to be, I'm going to burn this one in my hands for all of us. Let it serve as a symbol, okay, of God's holy fire touching down on your life, okay? The one that you're holding in your hand, this is it right now, okay? Let this be a symbol of God's holy fire 
touching down on you and replacing the idols that are destroying your life with his own fire, with himself, so that you too can say, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are God. Not all the things I chase after. Heavenly Father, you are God. Not all the things that I hold on to so tightly. God, I pray that you put in my heart and each person here praying with me I pray that you would replace the idols in our hearts, whatever they are. I don't know. I have my own baggage. We all do. I, replace, I, I pray that you would replace that with a fire for yourself. God, we don't know how to, we don't know how to light it. Only you can. I pray that you would just redeem this idol-making factory that is my heart. I pray that you would answer by fire, just as you did for Elijah. You said that the God who answers by fire, he is God. Just like you did in my, in my friend Dan's life, Lord, won't you, won't you light a fire inside of us as well? Scripture says that our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Lord, just be true to yourself. Be a consuming fire in each man, woman, and child's heart here right now. And we'll entrust this in your Son, our Savior, Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Audio. If this message has touched you, we'd love to know how. Just email Pastor Dave Adamson at churchonline at liquidchurch.com. For more information and content, or to connect with our worldwide Liquid Church community, log on to liquidchurchonline.com.